This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. Bark and Hare Part 2 by Terry Newman in a man, Janet? I like a man of substance. What sort of substance? Of the body or of the purse? Well, Mary, certainly I would not want a skinny man. Too thin a man can surely not feed himself, so how can he be expected to feed me? That's true. But if a man errs too far towards the portly, not to say rotund, then he might keep you content outside of the bed, but not ever bother you in it. It has that advantage as well. <laughs> <laughs> So you would go for substance in the purse? A full purse is most welcome. But a full purse shows a man who thinks first of his wealth. And if riches are his main concern, then where would I be in his priorities? Yet, a poor man might worship you passionately like a heathen does their god. But would it not be better to have a wafer on the altar and wine in the communion cup? Well, that's true as well. The matter is far from straightforward. Mm. And would the man be old or young? The benefits of youth are many, and many times a night. However, the pleasures of an older man who takes his time and doesn't shoot his bolt cannot be overlooked. You seem far from decided, then. I'll tell you what. I'll have a thin man on a Monday and a fat man on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, I'll have a rich man, and on Thursday, a poor. And then on Friday, a young man, and on Saturday, an old. And what about for Sunday? Ah, I'll have the priest. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the women? They've retired momentarily. What are they about? If I knew the motives and purposes of women, I would not be sitting here with you now. I'd be living in one of them fine houses in the new town, dying high off the hog and drinking cold champagne from France, because I would be as rich as Croesus, who was a very rich king who lived in biblical times when they knew a thing or two about wealth. Ah, women, they're no different from men. What? And I thought you said you were truly married. Surely if there's one institution that shows the different attitudes of men and women, it's marriage. It is a state of convenience for both parties, that's all. Not true. For men, it's the foundation from which they build their lives, the base from which they sally forth to take on the world and return to lick their wounds and husband their strength again. For women, marriage is their world, and their reaction to events is their reaction to how those events affect that world. Thus, something generally acknowledged by men to have been a bad thing, the sinking of a great ship, say, made for a woman be of no account, except perhaps if it delayed the import of some fine silk or perfume. Too much is made of these reputed differences. We all have two legs, a mouth into which we must put food, and a toilet that we must thereafter attend to. The rest is all... festoonery. From such festoonery is much pleasure born. I did not deny that. So, would you marry? I might, if the right man asked, and if he understood the purpose of the institution of marriage. What do you mean? Well, men have strange thoughts about marriage. 
They think the getting of a wife is like a purchase of a new suit or a horse, less so than a horse, for at least with a horse they might give some thought to stabling it and feed. And ensure they give it a ride at least once a week. Which is better than being ridden every day until you flag. <laughs> at least when it's the same horseman. And once they've undertaken this contract, they singularly fail to keep their part. They expect their dinner to be put on front of them every day, with little thought to whether they've provided the wherewithal to get it. And then they expect us to cater in bed for whatever little peccadillo they might have. And some of them might well be little. And whether we even want to play a tune on it. I think that's a piccolo. It might well be. It usually involves blowing down it. And would you say that Mr Burke and Mr Hare were marrying possibilities? Perhaps. Mr Hare is a thin man and Mr Burke a good figure. Both, though not in the first flush, are not yet in their decrepitude. And as regards their purse, they are flush of late. Yes, very flush. I have heard one calls Margaret Logwife and the other Nell the same. Well, that is no concern to me. There's only one thing I want to be called. And what is that? Early for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Look how innocently they laugh. I would have said that the chill of April must have frozen your marrow if you could not be lifted by the sight of two such ripe fruits free to be plucked. Ah, uh, but they're not free. They must be paid for. That's it, is it? The price? Is that what's concerning you? There's always a price. Do you think the jaw market costs you nothing? A wife takes some upkeep. There is considerable maintenance, three square meals a day, plus the things that we view as optional and they as necessities. Soap, perfume and such like. And of course, she must be serviced regularly, not just when the fancy takes you. Yes, but perhaps with one of these, we could have an outlay that could pay for itself. Oh, no. Surely not. Think of the waste. Not to mention the hips, the thighs, the lips, the... It will give the medics a treat. Something a little more absorbing than these pensioners and debauchers. Something that warrants a real sketch or two, especially young Mary Patterson. Don't be soft. Half of them have already had their pencils trace her outline. Still, business and pleasure not to be mixed, they say. But all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And too many cooks spoil the broth. Ah, yes. The broth. And what have you two been up to? Taking care of business. What have you two been at? We've just been having a little talk. Oh, yes. What about? Oh, this and that. You know, ladies' talk. You'd mentioned breakfast. Ah, yes, breakfast. Best meal of the day. Set your rate up. Never start a day's labour without a proper breakfast. I'm fond of a bit of bacon. I like a sausage. <laughs> but first, perhaps, drink. Another drink. And breakfast, you promise. Then breakfast you shall have, as soon as we've had another drink. Come on, Janet. We'll do the honours. Oh, William, you do quite take my breath away. It's true. I mate. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 We begin on the ventral surface. Using the number seven scalpel, I make a Y incision. First, entering the flesh to bisect the breast, I cut downwards to locate the top of the inverted Y above the pubic mound. Oh. Cutting through the skin, 
we see the yellow subcutaneous tissue, recording, as we pull aside the dermis, the layer-like construction. Note how the strata are arranged and can be exposed as one might release the layers of an onion. To penetrate the thorax, I must engender greater force. Uh, we accomplish this uh, through the use of the rib shears. Uh, and with several abstruse cuts, uh, I part the edges and penetrate the thoracic cage. Uh, then wielding the racketome, I'm able to sever artery and vein to reach my goal, the heart. You know the old beggar woman, Effie? The one who sometimes sold you scraps of leather for cobbling? That's the one. Yes. A poor drudge at best. Well, she's at the door. I see. Better get on with it then. I just saw this old woman being taken to the cells by the police. Drunk, legless she was. A terrible thing to see a woman in such a state at this time of the morning. Completely incapable, so I told the constable I'd see her safe. A generous offer. <gasps> She's in the stables. We'd better see her safe then. An old woman and a grandson. Her grandson? Any problem there? Oh no, he's as deaf as a post. Pardon? Oh, forget it. A cinder gatherer. The washerwoman. An Irish labourer. Oh, that's me. Jeez. I need a holiday. Well, have one. We'll take care of Nell. Right. What do you mean, take care? Well, I mean, she's not one of us, is she? Not one of us. Not Irish? Don't even think about that. Not for a minute. Me and Nell are going away together. Well, wife, it'll be just the two of us for a time. Change is as good as a rest, they say. No, it's not the change that worries me. It's the silver, the gold, and the notes. You need to take a break from it as well. Overwork is like overeating. In what way? I thought it obvious. Not to me. Well, both are looked down upon. As are avarice and fornicating with animals. Anyway, who looks down on them? The church. Or at least I'm sure they do fornicating with animals. But not overwork and overeating. I'm sure the church does heartily approve of both. What makes you say that? Because the church takes a tithe from men's labours and so profits by every additional hour they strive. And the eating? Because it is from these others' labours that the church grows fat. And I see no sign of that diminishing. Therefore, overeating must meet with approval from on high. Oh, you can spin a pretty yarn, William Hare. I'll say that for you. Aye, and what else will you say for me? What do you mean? I mean that on many matters concerning myself and my conduct, you have been of late what might be called retiring. That is not true. I'd say it was. Let us imagine, for saying's sake, that you were called upon to swear on a stack of Bibles. What would your words be as regards myself? How would you describe me? Well... Come on, wife. I would say... Should say... A whole stack now! I could say, without fear of contradiction, in front of the advocate himself... Oh, good! That you were... Yes! A thin man. Is that it? Is that my defence from my dearest, my most trusted? He was a thin man. That looked fine on my tombstone. He was a thin man. Not even a word on my looks was he fair upon the eye, no. Just he kept the fat and the lean in fair proportion. Well, handsome is as handsome does. I see. That's it, is it? Still pretending you're above it all, are you? 
The business? I told you my thoughts on that. Hedging your bets. Keeping one hand on the rosary and the other in the coffer. What you and Mr Burke made... Don't act coy with me, Margaret. You're not as simple as Nell, so don't pretend it. Well... And don't think you'll get through the pearly gates in a technicality. I... I don't... I see the young Ludovico has been around again. Ludy? Oh, you know him. Who has the little pets? The white mice in his pockets? Yes. Do let me know if he should call again. All right. I can't hear you. I said all right. All right. date you both. So you're back? Yes. Nell and I have returned. Much rested, I hope? Pleasantly enough. Country has its merits, but I for one miss the bustle and sophistication of the city. And how is Nell? Oh, fine. Fit and well. Good. And has the business flourished while I've been away? The business? Yes. I judge the commerce has been brisk. How so? You know, the little Italian boy, Ludovico. Maybe. Oh, come, you must do. Never went anywhere without his two white mace. Renowned for them he was, his pets. And how strange to prawn an enter in Tana's close, Nell should happen to spot two mace of that coloration without their master. We have more to do with our hours than investigate vermin. Yes, no profit in that. Not when there are other markets. Hard to exploit them when the crew numbers are depleted. Oh, come, surely you could find temporary staff. <sighs> it is highly skilled work, not... Something for the novice. True. However, there is at least one here that has showed some promise, if I remember a certain old woman that was led to this very factory. I'll get a drink. Don't go now. William Burke, we must remember that this is our trade, and we are the practitioners thereof. And if any ever have claims of liability against said business, it is the two of us alone who are culpable. Oh yes, we are culpable. And I'm sure that we will answer for our business methods, either here or when the final accounts are made, the both of us. Yes, a partnership has its obligations. A contract is a contract and is binding on both parties and should not be sundered. Of course! Just don't drag any others into this. Well, perhaps then you should not have brought up the question of Nell, especially as raw material. Well, she ain't one of us. Shut your face, woman! You do not talk to my wife like that! Your wife? Then why does she still bear the name of Logue, her wedded husband, who himself met a most untimely end? Have I picked a bad moment? No, of course not, Nell. Only, I can come in again. It's it's just that I thought I heard shouting. Just business. Then why don't we all sit down? Sit down? (laughs) Sit down, yes. A good idea. Perhaps it has come time to talk about something that has long been on my mind. And what was that? Remembering that this is a joint venture and not for you to call a closure on it. Closure? Far from it. I am thinking of expansion. Expansion? Yes. Our growth at the moment is to some extent limited by our premises. It is? Oh, yes. Even though the dispatching is in itself a short process, the manufacturing of the right circumstance is time-consuming and needs space. 
dedicated space as opposed to the risky environs that one finds in the public house or a street corner. This is true. Think of the harvest, say, if another house was employed. Yes, there is another house nearby that might do. Oh, where my cousin Brogan lives? Mel and I might make that a house such as this. Oh, yes, and I can make curtains, or if not them, blinds, perhaps. And with double the premises, we might double output. Imagine the profits. That would be an income. This calls for a drink. I'll fetch that bottle now. Come on, Nell. We're celebrating. Yes, our own boarding house. Oh, yes, a boarding house. And that might just be a beginning. <laughs> Aye, we might have a string of such places. One in every town. Where's your ambition, man? One in every street corner of every town. Every town in Scotland. And England, too. There is much room for expansion there. And Ireland as well. Why? There are whole counties there where many would not be missed. I hear that the Americas have much to offer. Perhaps we'll wait a bit there for demand to increase. Which it surely will. Oh, we're going to have a shindy tonight. There we are, Jamie. Take a seat. Thank you. You fool. What? I saw the two of you from the tavern. You lead him here like a lamb to the slaughter, obvious for all to see. What of it? This is daft Jamie. Of course it's Jamie. Isn't it, Jamie? Hello. But he's known through all of Parker and beyond. He's simple. Simple? But not so simple you don't like a drink, eh, Jamie? I like snuff. I have a snuff box and a spoon. My spoon has seven holes in it, and from that I know the day. Today is Monday. This is too soon after the Haldane woman, another who was too well known. You worry, unduly. Unduly? Do you forget? We had her daughter come looking for her. Well, we saw to young Peggy as well. Success is making you soft. It's too much and too close. The demand. We must supply the demand. Pox on the demand. If we don't supply it, someone else will. It is a fact of business. Come on, Jamie. A drink. Perhaps a small one. But I can't have more. It makes me stupid. Ah, drink can do that, so I'm told. Another. No, thank you. I can count to one, but after that I get confused, so I make it a rule to always stop at one, whatever I do. Come on, lad. This is just one more. No. One more won't hurt. No. Just one. One little drink. I want to go now. You're scaring me. Can I have my snuff? Of course. It's all right, Jamie. Sit yourself down. That's it. Now look in my eye, Jamie. That's right. Calm yourself. Calm down. What are you doing, man? I have heard that a Frenchie called Mesmer has arrived at the belief that there exists a form of thinking that through the eyes can be used to put another individual into a form of sleep. A calming, calming sleep. That is remarkable. I have never heard... Such rubbish! Come on, man! Assist! Let me go! Sink him, man! Sink him! A ship cannot voyage without wind in its sails! Uh. Cannot navigate if the captain has no wits! Uh. Now, drop the anchor! Uh. There. We've scuppered him. We've scuppered him! 
Scuppered. Scuppered. Oh. oh my god, the blood. We've murdered him. Oh god. We've murdered him. Of course we've murdered him. We murdered them all. Murdered. Murder is our business, you fool. Murder! is important. Is it? Yes. It puts the meat on the table and buys coal. And whiskey. Yes. Though perhaps we could do without it. Could we? Should I give up work then? Perhaps. Come on, woman. Perhaps. In a while. It might be nice for us to get out of Westport. I hear there are some houses being built. What do you think that I do, woman? Do? Wait. You're in business with Mr Hare. Business? Yes. You're a businessman, which is no mean thing in these times. And what is the nature of this business? Why, William, I am but a woman. I don't understand the business men make. No. Of course not. Not at all. I know you're allied to the medical profession, for I hear you speak often of Dr Knox. I must admit... This is for me a source of some pride. Is it? Of course. We all know that the practice of medicine is beneficial to us all. And what if I was to tell you that our business involved the dispatching of such flotsam and jetsam as one might find walking on these very streets to Dr Knox for his teachings? Truth be told, William, there are an uncommonly large number of bodies packing Edinburgh these days and we have very few good doctors. So what would you say if... If people accuse me of making a business of murder... Say, I'd judge them envious of your enterprise. Bless you, woman. Why, thank you. With you on my arm and the bottle in my hand, perhaps I'll make it yet. Come, Nell, take me home. I need to have a lie down. My feet are killing me. Hurry, man, hurry. What's about? It's the greys. What, your lodgers? Both of them? In one chest? No. This is the old woman from Inishowen, Mary Doherty, which was my mother's name. She said they were related. But you come to think on it, they might well have been. Then what are the greys? Have you been working overtime? No. They've seen her. Seen her? Doherty? Yes. Alive? Animate? Vital, you mean? No. I left the body poorly concealed. Christ, man! What's occurred? The Greys saw the body and they say they'll fetch the justice. Then we must move, man, move. We must get this to Knox. <laughs> will that be safe? As safe as any place. The chances are he will have her face off before the authorities have even got out of their beds. Good. 
I was loath to lose the ten pounds. Do not think of money at a time like this. Wasn't it you that always said to look after the business? Our business now is staying, keeping our necks from being stretched by the hangman. Put ten pounds. Hurry! We leave the body with his man, Patterson, and argue later about payment. Just hope you've saved your skin. Oh. Well? It's done. Thank heavens. Where is my William? We came back separate ways to fox the hounds. What news? They've been to your place. Then the Greys did report us. Some people are not to be trusted. They found your shoes. What shoes? Don't worry. I'm a cobbler. I'm duty-bound to have shoes. But women's shoes? And in such number? Who did they belong to? Who do you think? I told you to destroy any of their personal items. They were still wearing many a pair. Oh, what sort of business are we running here? A cobbler's or... or something else? Your neighbours have spoken to the police and told a two men and a tea chest. Then we must get rid of it. A cloth. There. It'll do. The brooch. What of it? Quick, lose it. But you gave it to me as a present. You said it cost you 20 crowns. It'll cost you more than that if they identify its provenance. I'm already out to the sum of £10. Why? I gave it to the Greys. To keep them quiet. Fool! Now that will be evidence against us. Don't worry. None of it is damning. There are no witnesses and no way to trace us to Knox, so nobody. We just all need to keep to the same story and not deviate. Right? All of you remember. The same story. Hang together. Or we hang apart. Here is the entry. December 1828. A deep sensation of horror was excited at the end of the year by the exposure of what are called the Westport murders. It was only for a single murder that William Burke and Helen MacDougall were tried, but it was certain that within a year or two, Burke and Hare had murdered about 16 people for the sale of their bodies to the anatomists. Hare, it must be remembered, turned King's evidence, the cause of considerable public outcry, and had thus also protected his wife, Margaret Hare, Ni log, as no man can give evidence against his spouse. Moncrief and I were drawn into the case by the junior counsel. The evidence against Burke was far too clear to be shaken by even Moncrief's energy and talent. But the woman, Helen, who had been assigned to my care, escaped, because there were some material doubts in her favour. Doubts I believe to be but the reflection of the truth. No case ever struck the public heart or imagination with greater horror. And no wonder, for the regular demand for anatomical subjects and the high prices given held out a constant premium to murder. And when it was shown what danger this exposed the unprotected to, everyone felt himself living in the midst of persons to whom murder was a trade. Except that he murdered. Burke was, to my mind, a sensible and what might be called a respectable man. Though not regularly married, Helen MacDougall was his wife, and when the jury came in with the verdict convicting him but acquitting her, his remark was, well, thank God you're safe. Upon her release, 
Nell MacDougall did attempt to return to Westport, but was set upon by the enraged inhabitants there domiciled, only making it to the safety of a watchtower by a whisker. Reports from Ireland concerning Mrs. Hare, Nee Log, have also reached me from reputable sources. It is said that she roams the countryside quite mad. Dr. Knox was never called to trial, not even as a witness, and some might say received no punishment. However, he never reached high office in Edinburgh, and to an extent he did disappear from sight. The exact fates of Messrs. William, Burke and Hare are, of course, most exactly known. Please, do come in. I would offer you a seat, but as you can see, my hands are tied. You are William Hare of Westport, Edinburgh? I am. You were born in Londonderry in 1790? Yes, sir. And came here ten years ago? To build the canal, sir. And since then, you have been mostly employed, running Logue's rooming house in Westport? I have. With the widow Margaret Hare nay Logue, there seems to be some doubt as to whether the two of you were married. There is no doubt in our minds. And do you know who I am? Yes. Really? And who is that, then? You are the organ grinder. The organ grinder? Oh, yes. Very droll. And why do you think I am here? Because I've been imprisoned a month, and your monkeys haven't put a case together yet that didn't have more holes in it than a Westport brothel. Damn you. I will not be addressed in this manner. This is a serious business. Ah, uh, now, if it's business you're wanting to do, then we have some grounds for discussion. I am no businessman. I am... A lawyer, or a magistrate, or perhaps even the advocate Sir William Ray himself. I see. <laughs> well, whoever you are. You are in the justice business, and right now your customers are demanding justice, are they not? That is common enough knowledge. And it's up to you to fulfil that demand, to supply justice. And what makes you think I should do business with you? Because I have something you require. Oh, yes. And what might that be? A conviction. Good heavens, man. With the flimsy stories your friends have concocted, they have agreed you left at seven, but Bark says a.m., and his doxy PM. Bah! We have enough evidence to place 15 or 16 murders firmly at your door. Yeah, they may be at my door, but they're not supping at my table, and neither will they be with what you lack. And what do I lack? A body. Or 15. I have bodies. But putting them back together is another matter. Then placing them in Tanner's Close is a matter further still. And as for Logue's lodging house, well... There is the deceased Doherty woman. Ah, yeah, and who would that be? Have you found the body? Oh, yes. What? Mary Doherty. We found her body in Knox's dissection room before his work began. How? An anonymous tip-off. We were shopped? Oh, yes. You were indeed. Oh, Father. I've made the arrangements. You will be attended by two Catholic priests and two Presbyterian ministers, as you requested. Thank you, Father. My ideas on religion are somewhat cloudy. Uh, they will pray for your soul. They might as well pray for my heels and upples as well. My son? It's nothing. I was a cobbler once. God's mercy. I fear 
I'm too deeply sunk in crime to even think of the mercy of heaven. It is infinite. I might just be stretching even that. Have you heard what they intend for me? I have. On January the 27th, I'm to be taken to Liberton's wind and there hung by the neck until dead. I'm not to be gibbeted in chains, but to be dissected publicly, skin from sinew, sinew from muscle, muscle from organ, organ from skeleton. I don't know much about the nature of God's mercy, but I'm certain he's got a wicked sense of humour. I do not believe it is a laughing matter. Oh, come, Father. Surely it must be, or whatever else does every skull grin. You must come and view Maine. They say my frame is to be preserved and put on show, that future generations may keep a remembrance of my crimes. It is not what I would wish for any soul. Even my skin is to be tanned for posterity. So here is wrong. I did not even save that. The Doherty woman will be your downfall. Still, I don't think your customers will be content with that. Justice for one only, out of so many missing. Hardly. I mean, we don't want any more of those unpleasant riots now, do we? Like those that killed the constable the last year. Now see here. No, you see here. Pouncing in here with your finery and your lists instead of approaching me straight like any other honest businessman with a trade to be done. A trade? Yes. I'll give you Burke. Burke? And the McDougal woman? Aye, and I'll even throw in Knox for you. That is a separate matter. <laughs> is it? Dr. Knox has given me his word. Oh, come on, man. Knox knew. He is a medical man. He can tell the difference between a brimful urn and worm food. Dr. Knox is a learned gentleman. <laughs> That's it, is it? The ranks close. And there will be nothing else said on the matter, either here or in the witness box. I see. And as for my part, I might well be able to offer a reduction in... A pardon. What? For such crimes as this? Surely you're joking. A full king's pardon. And for that, I'll give you Burke and his woman. You'll have them both. Do you wish him ill for taking the king's pardon? Hair? No. I think not. For Hare it was only business. It was a business decision, like a consolidation or a merging. This was simply a shedding of assets. Assets? Oh, yes. He was down in the size of his operation by cutting the staff, Nell and me. I heard that when the jury came in with the conviction, but acquitting Nell, you were heard to say, thank God she's safe. I did. That was well done. At least I saved her all of this. Well, if it was a business you two ran, it was a very sorry business. Where have you been, Father? What do you think happens in these industries, these factories and mills that now make this land so rich? What else are the bodies there but cogs in the machinery of business? Fuel for the fires of finance. It was not us that reduced them to the role of commodities. We simply saw a gap. In the market. But to think that life itself can be treated as a commodity. Oh yes. What do we take that life had not already done? Life had taken everything from them. It had robbed them of youth, of health, of beauty. What did we take? Only their breath. Their breath. Like a candle. Candle. I'm not sure you have the full import of this conversation. What exactly do you take me for? Thought I was joking, didn't you say? Well, I'll tell you a good one that's doing the rounds. Very droll, it is. 
A man goes up to a beautiful woman on the high street and says, Young woman, will you sleep with me for a thousand guineas? And she looks coyly up at him and says, Why, sir? Then he says, Young woman, will you sleep with me for a farthing? Why, sir, she says, What sort of girl do you think I am? We've established that, he replies. Now, we're just haggling about the price. As long as I have bark, I must at least have bark. Aye. You'll have him. My son, do I detect signs of contrition? Contrition? You could not go on. Indeed. Although, we might well have. They say if the police had not been told to look for Mary Doherty's body at the skull of Dr. Knox, they would have lacked for proof. There is always some soul that finds the knowledge of such events too great a burden. Yes, there is. Often... Or, so I've heard, the... You mean... It could not be allowed to go on. Then you really do know some remorse, my son. Remorse? I'm not sure I'm familiar with the feeling. Some regret for your actions. We are what we are, are we not, Father? We are what God made us. Is that so? We are not, then, a product of our times. Times do not, then, make the man. Remember, God makes the times as well. Then perhaps he should have paid a bit more attention to his handiwork. More attention to detail might have saved us all much distress. God wishes us to rise above our baser selves. That is a long way to go. So, I ask you for the last time, do you feel remorse? I feel... I feel... I think... I'm entitled to... And, and I ought to have... That ten pounds from Dr. Knox, which is still unpaid on the body of the woman Doherty. Listening to Bark and Hare by Terry Newman. Bark and Hare starred Rob Crouch as Bark, Jonathan Clarkson as Hare, Genevieve Swallow as Margaret Hare, Holly McLeay as Helen, Adam Hall as Mr. Miller and the Priest, Clive Greenwood as Lord Coburn, Neil McCormick as Dr. Knox, Kerry Gifford as Mary, Naomi Bowen as Janet. Andrew Glenn as Ray. All other parts were played by the cast. It was recorded at Unity Studios and engineered by Carlos Ziccarelli. Barkin Hare was first commissioned and produced for the stage by the Skullduggery Theatre Company. It was produced by Jack Bowman and directed by Robert Valentine. Visit wirelesstheatrecompany.co.uk for more audio downloads.